Why do they hate us? They hate our freedoms, our freedom of speech. I don't, I don't think uh, Osama bin Laden sent those planes in to attack us because he hated our freedom. I think he did it because uh, of our support for Israel and our ties with the Saudi family and all our military bases in Saudi Arabia. You know why I think that? Because that's what he fucking said. Equifax, now they have a website where you can go to check to see if your data was compromised. All you have to do to find out is enter your last name and your social security number. That's quite a plan. Hey everybody, you know, your social security number may have been stolen. Give us your social security number, we'll let you know if it was. To make up for potentially ruining your life. What the hell is this? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. Like Brian. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't change for anyone. Note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to the Stone on Air podcast. It is... The Weekly Dose for September 13th, the year 2017. My name is Brian Stone, at Stone on Air on all social media. Thank you for finding the show. A couple of different topics today. I will lay that out for you in a mere moment. The year of major change in the life of myself is happening quickly. Not as much on that this week because there's not really anything new, but some of this is terrifying. Some of it is actually pretty darn cool. More meetings to go this week and a couple more with other prominent Chattanoogans next week. And hopefully by the time middle of October rolls around, I'll have a better idea of what the future holds for me. Either way, whatever it is that happens, I am looking forward to a change of pace. I think my life has needed that for quite some time. This is the most listened to, the most downloaded, the most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga, meaning that it is available on every single podcasting app that you'll find. It is uh, hosted, and the hub, if you will, is at soundcloud.com of considered maybe changing that at some point, but at this point, I'm not going to. SoundCloud.com slash air. The website is uh, still there, the original one, and you can still find the show there, but the uh, revamp is coming here, and that's been delayed a little bit because of of lots of, of life. Life happening. And lots of other things happening, too. So it's, it's all good, it's all cool, but if you want to find this show and you download podcasts, well, wherever you download that podcast... You can get this one as well, and that's what I mean by the most easily accessible. And by the most listened to in the city and really closer to the region, well, that's self-explanatory. In Stone's Throw, every single time I come here, once upon a time I used to have a buddy. We used to load trucks in in a beer warehouse a long time ago. I'm pretty sure it was my friend Brad and it would there was something he was quoting from somebody he knew. And it might it might even be him, it might be somebody else. But it was it was every time I come here. And so anytime something similar was happening, anytime anything predictable was happening, 
the quote would be, or the saying would be, kind of with the inflection in your voice of, every time I come here, like, oh, no, not again. Well, that's the case with a certain thing I go do in the Mid-South, in the middle of the state, every uh, handful of times on Sundays in the fall. And I'll get to that here in just a minute. A little bit of a spoiler alert. It has to do with something in Nashville, if you didn't already pick up on that. And one other thing that I picked up on being in Nashville for this past weekend, uh, the first weekend of September, was every time I go up there, I am really, really excited to be there and think, man, this is such an awesome city. Now, And I'm not taking away and saying now that I don't think that the city is awesome because I, I do think that the city is very, very cool. And I love going there, and I can't wait to go back again. But this time, I went up there, and for about the first full day I was there, I didn't really have anything to do. And everybody that I knew was in the middle of doing something already. And then when you're on the verge of unemployment down in a smaller city, a very recognizable city that I've been in for over 25 years here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the city of Nashville gets just a little bit more intimidating. So this whole idea of, oh, man, I'd, I'd move to Nashville in a second if I got a chance. Yeah, not sure I'd do that at this point. I, I just don't know. Still love it. Still great. But it is awfully expensive to do anything there. It is such a huge surrounding suburban area and city center itself. And when I didn't have specific plans that were already designed to be a lot of fun when I just had kind of a regular life day, I realized maybe the, the grass isn't always greener. Maybe it's not always better uh, just because it seems new and fun and specifically designed to be that way. I'm not sure, but coming up at Stone's Throw, I'll tell you that every time I come here, this one certain thing happens. In the final segment of the show, the biggest story of the year that you might not know really anything about. It was at the end of last week, and because of all the hurricane uh, problems between in the Gulf and Texas and down in Florida and up into Georgia and South Carolina, a lot of big news stories have been missed, and I think this one potentially is the biggest, and uh, I don't think a lot of people would have paid attention to it really necessarily all that much anyway because that's kind of how America works. So we'll get to all that eventually. All right. Let's get right to this. It is 9-13-2017, which means it's just now two days removed from 9-11-2017, which puts that at 16 years since the, um, since the terrorist attacks. And we're coming to an interesting dynamic. We're coming to an interesting point here to where there's people, kids, that are growing up that do not remember this happening, meaning growing up and there, it's kind of like a generational shift, a generational change into a 16, certainly 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, a legal adult does not consciously remember the terrorist attacks of 9-11-2001. And even if you pretend to remember, like many, many Americans do, this is a cultural phenomenon where for some reason, because of memories and pictures, especially now that social media is such a big thing and scrapbooks and all these things, we, we, we say we remember things like, oh, I remember when I was three years old. No, you don't. You don't remember that. That's a lie. You remember somebody talking about it. You remember a picture. You remember something vivid uh, that was mentioned over the years and made you think you remembered it. You don't remember being four years old. You just don't. 
I mean, unless there was a very, very traumatic incident in your life, that would be, I mean, I'm not even going to start throwing out some of the examples, but major trauma you might remember. But when you're three or four years old, a couple of planes, you know, hitting a, hitting some buildings in, in, in New York City isn't traumatic to a three-year-old. Their brains are fundamentally developed, intellectually developed enough to be able to, to comprehend that. And I don't think you could even really get to that point at four, five, or even six years old. So if you do that math and you add that on top of 16, you're looking at 21, 22, 23, 24-year-old girls and boys, men and women, legal men and women that don't know this outside of a textbook, out of a history lesson, out of a National Geographic doc, out of a uh, from just something they stumbled on on YouTube, and which, good Lord, the crap they can find about it on YouTube, the conspiracies like it didn't actually happen and stupid shit like that. So we're coming into a new dynamic that really makes it even more fascinating to me because I'm that guy. Every Monday night on the 11th, I sat there, and I wasn't necessarily planning on it, but I get on, I guess it's Nat Geo, I don't know, Geo, National Geographic or or I think I, I bounced around a little bit. I don't pay that close of attention when I'm watching because I don't care all that much exactly who the network is. And I'm, I'm a, on the cable television box. I'm just a flipper. I just till I find something I want to see. I'm not a, much a on-demand kind of television watcher if it's, unless it's live sports. And then that's obviously you know, in real time. I started watching a bunch of these and I just got enthralled in it again, once again, 15 years in a row, every single year. It's what, you know, obviously, it's a remember where you were moment. For me, I was in the cafeteria at Chatting State Technical Community College. I was 21, right? Let's see. Yeah, September. Yeah, I was 21 for five months, and I was at Chattanooga State. And the first plane had hit, and then I had to go to class. And the second plane had hit while I was in class, and we didn't know about that till the class was over. And then I had to go to work at the job that I still have now that I'm probably losing in a month or so. And went to the warehouse to load trucks until 8, 9, 9 o'clock at night. And there wasn't internet. And there was, but not like this. There wasn't cable TV at work. You know, you, you waited till you got home to find out. I didn't find out that the towers had fallen, like collapsed, until I got home. I was still living at my mom's house, I'm pretty sure at that time. Yeah, I was living at home out in East Brainerd, Shadow Ridge, as a matter of fact. And I got home. And the news was on, just on cable TV. And it was like, are you freaking kidding me? They both fell down? That happened at like 10.30 in the morning. I didn't find out, not because I was dumb or couldn't, couldn't find out. Well, unless you really tried, you couldn't, as a matter of fact. We had cell phones, but just barely. Text messaging wasn't a thing yet. Somebody might have done it, but not many. It's a different time. It was a different time. And so it's hard to comprehend how people think that are now adults since then because it's always was we were adults everybody who knew it was adults 10 years ago there weren't we were all adults and now 16 years later people who are now adult adults weren't then and so us adults always lived in the well here's how it was before 9-11 and here's how it was after 9-11 and a lot of the problems I had growing up, and a lot of people did as we were, you know, getting out of high school, is that, and, and, and old school, greatest generation types never wanted to hear this, but kid is a perfect way 
to categorize somebody who's 20 or 21 or 22. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they're all a bunch of damn idiots, man. If you've been around a kid that age, it's getting even worse. But it was bad then. It's been bad for a long time. And I didn't understand religious conflict in the Middle East in 2000 and 2001. It's not because I was not smart enough to understand it. It was because I didn't care. Way too many other things I needed to worry about than what religious conflict was in the Middle East. And so to understand why this has happened or why this happened was very, very difficult for somebody who has never spent a lot of time thinking about this. And for the last decade, 12 years before that, all the warning signs from the people who should have known and the CIA and, the, and all the networks across the United States and maybe the entire world just kind of blew this off as no big deal. Islamic terrorism wasn't really a thing yet. It was just happening occasionally and really didn't start until Osama bin Laden was the pioneer of this, starting right around the 1980, into the early 80s, when he started to build these networks. And into the early 90s, when it started, he started to move real money and had real influence. And, and, and the CIA was getting real intelligence on this. And they didn't spend a lot of time worrying about it. The 90s were good, man. We were making a bunch of money in the USA. We were doing well. well why worry about some, you know, pissant guy in Pakistan or Afghanistan who, you know, yeah, he's making some noise over there. But what's that guy going to do? Well, all he's going to do is spend 20 years designing one of the most brilliant masterminds in the history of combat in, in, in attacks on civilized nations. Nobody has designed a more perfect plan to cause cre and create destruction, mayhem, uncertainty, and despair across a nation. One of the most amazingly well-thought-out, well-executed, masterminded attacks in the history of modern world. And I know that sounds like there's a lot of praise words in there, but this attack was executed and planned to perfection. Almost to perfection, I'll take that back, because they didn't get every plane to hit some kind of major United States building or well-known entity. It's unbelievable. And it's 16 years old. And for years, you would still remember it fondly on that day. And it's kind of faded off because that's what happens in history. That's not, I'm not being a, I'm not saying what's the matter with everybody. We don't, Pearl Harbor Day rolls around December, what, 7th? I don't think twice about it. It's just a footnote in history. And that's what's happening here. But back then, I remember thinking, because well, now we got to go to war, and now we're all mad, and we're all upset, and we're our, our emotions are all big time, and we don't know what to think. And so going back to what I was saying, it's hard to understand. As a 20, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kid, what the hell is going on here? These kinds of things don't happen. We don't, we, we don't, we don't have ma massive attacks like this don't happen on us. And so then you start to get the narrative. Why does this happen? And in, in retrospect, I like George W. Bush. I do not have a problem with George W. Bush at all. But back in those days, there was, some, there was a lot left to be desired by the way he handled things, especially when he would talk into a microphone, and then especially after that, his foreign policy and the way we went into wars that were completely unfounded. But why was this a thing? Why did this happen? Americans are asking, why do they hate us? 
They hate what they see right here in this chamber, a democratically elected government. They hate our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and assemble and disagree with each other. That was a very simple couple of words there, and then you'd continue to see it on some of the the, 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 the news channels that were there was a lot less back then, obviously, but still plenty. They hate the far hate. They hate our freedom. They hate they hate the way that we that we operate and the freedoms that we possess. And this was within a year or less. It might have even been within months after the attacks. David Cross, one of my favorite comedians, David Cross said this, and I remember listening to this at this time. This was very bold and daring to say this that early. This was his stand-up routine just shortly after the the attacks, within less than a year, maybe even within less than six months. And seriously, if the terrorists hated freedom, then the Netherlands would be fucking dust, you know? <laughs> As would Denmark and Sweden and Switzerland and New Zealand and Canada and every other country that's truly freer than we are. <laughs> I don't, I don't think uh, Osama bin Laden sent those planes in to attack us because he hated our freedom. I think he did it because uh, of our support for Israel and our ties with the Saudi family and all yep. our military bases in Saudi Arabia. You know why I think that? Because that's what he fucking said. <laughs> of six-year-olds? Answer, yes. God damn it. Why did the bad man put the plane in the building? I said he hated freedom. Because <laughs> oh, I went to the NexusLexus database and there's over 1,400 articles that actually explain why. Shh, he hated freedom. Have a cookie. Have a cookie. Get him in the backyard. Show him, show him the outdoor pool. All right. And just to be able to show you the dating, if you didn't catch it there, which I'm sure you did, the dating of how old that comedy stand-up was, was the Nexus Lexus database. <laughs> I mean, who in a million years would have remembered or thought of the Nexus Lexus database? Well, only of us that were in college at the turn of the century. So I was just looking around, but then at that time, it was like, well, huh. You start looking around, and you think, yeah, maybe that... Comedian actually knows what he's talking about. This is Noam Chomsky, philosopher, historian, activist, sometimes referred to as the father of American linguistics. What they object to is the fact that the United States has consistently opposed independent development, uh, supporting corrupt, brutal regimes. They're naturally strongly opposed to the unilateral U.S. support for the Israeli military occupation, which is very harsh and brutal, it's now in its 35th year, strongly oppose the U.S. sanctions against Iraq, which are devastating the population but strengthening Saddam Hussein. Well, that's one answer to uh, George Bush's question. It's not the kind of answer you read in most of the intellectual journals and the press and so on. There you read sophisticated answers about how people of that region uh, have bad cultures or they are left out by globalization uh, or they, you know, can't stand their freedoms. So, I mean, there was this, this narrative of so long of they're just, oh, the terrorists, they hate our freedom. No, there's a, it's a lot more complicated than that. And in the end of the day, and I won't get into this today, it comes down to global religion and how 
absolutely detrimental it is to the peaceful nature or the lack of peaceful nature that the world has had or hasn't had. And it's it's disgusting to me and deplorable, but I'll save that potentially for some other day. Putting the wraps on this segment here in a minute, getting to Stone's Throw, where I'll tell you where every time I go to Nashville on a cer- on certain Sundays in the fall, this is what happens. Finally here, Glenn Greenwald, a lawyer, journalist, author, most well-known for his reports in The Guardian detailing the global surveillance that was disclosed by Edward Snowden just a little while back at a panel. And so they were truly wondering, legitimately and reasonably, why do they hate us? And so the government had to provide an answer to that. And, and George Bush spoke on um, September 20th, and he couldn't stand up and say, Americans are asking, why do they hate us? And I'd like to tell you that the reason they hate us is because we've been interfering in their countries for decades, and we've caused the deaths of 500,000 children and women in Iraq, and we continue to support Israel as they slaughter Palestinians and Lebanese. They couldn't say that answer, the truth. So they had to come up with something else. And the answer, of course, was they hate us for our freedom. And one more time from George W. Bush. Americans are asking, why do they hate us? They hate what they see right here in this chamber a democratically elected government. They hate our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and assemble and disagree with each other. Yeah, they hate our freedoms. Yeah, no, that's not true at all, as a matter of fact. It works good on a soundbite. It works good on a headline. And it's been uh, duping people for a decade and a half. And I'm not smart enough to break it down with my own words. That's why I found people who were smarter than me and spent a lot of time studying this and speaking in front of people about it and putting their words and their sources and their uh, their findings on uh, on the record. But I do know that this country does a lot of really, really, really rotten stuff and has for, for a long time. Don't want to go anywhere else. I want to be here. Things are great. We, you know, we get a lot of opportunities, but those come at a price. And freedom isn't free, is what they always say. And I, you know, and at the end, actually agree with that. And so, to a certain degree, I look the other way as well, too. But I'm also not going to sit back here and continue to pretend that terrorists attack people because they're pissed off because we have freedom. Because that's not what it is, and that's been the narrative for a decade and a half plus. Every single time I come here, this same old thing happens. And is it good? Is it bad? Well, it depends on who you ask. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? Coming up here in the final segment of the show, I'm going to tell you about a story here and relate it to financial problems of American life, American family, economics all the way around. A story you likely haven't thought that much about. Coming up here in just a few minutes. But first, in Stone's Throw segment, so I'm a season ticket holder at the Tennessee Titans. Spend more money than anybody you know to go see the Titans play football a handful of times a year, and I'm happy to do it. Why? Because I like to support an organization that I uh, I enjoy 
I haven't enjoyed the product all that well in the last 10 years, but of my adult life, I've had a lot of fun rooting for this team, and it kind of gives you that sense of community in the city of Nashville where my brother lives and and his soon-to-be wife, so she'll be my sister-in-law, I guess, and then their, their, their kid, which is, I guess, what is that called? A nephew, right? And then there's lots of friends from almost rock star friends of mine to people you've never heard of that are great friends of mine. It's just a great city. And so I like to have something that keeps me tied there. And, um, and me and a good friend of mine go in on half on those, and we spend, again, way too much money. Well, so I head up there for opening weekend against the Raiders, and of course the Titans lost. Uh, just That seems to be the reoccurring theme in Nashville for the last, well, this most of this decade anyway, and a little bit beyond that. And that's fine. They don't have to win. Not every team can win. It's very, very, very difficult to be successful in any sports organization, in any business organization, period. But it, especially in the NFL, and again, I don't know if it's more than other sports, but it seems like maybe it is. I'm just not sure. It is because there's so many players, and there's so many moving parts, and there's so many rules, and so many transactions and 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 drafts and all these things that if you if you miss on a draft you're screwed in baseball if you miss on a draft it's not that big a deal uh other sports I'm, i don't know as much but nfl it just seems like it's very difficult to be good titans suck all right they're not any good they're finally getting better but they still haven't proved that they're really any good they're right now just good on paper well here's what happens Every single time I go there, especially in early fall, late summer, for the last at least five years, I'm a I'm a drinker, right? Okay, I've I've I am not shy about this. I mention it out loud all the time. I drink pretty regularly. I am actually here. I'll whisper so everybody can't hear me. I'm kind of an alcoholic, but you know I'm aware of that, and I kind of go from there. Whatever. I go to Lookouts games, and I have some beers, and I have some fun, and I go home. I go to Braves games. I have some beers. I have some fun, and I go home. I go to people's backyards parties. I have some beers. I have some fun. I go home. I do lots of events, concerts, festivals, nightfall, wherever, Bonnaroo, name it here. I have a few drinks. I do whatever, and then I go chill, and I call it a, a day or a night for some reason, especially when the weather's good. When I go to Nashville, Tennessee— for a Titans game at Nissan Stadium, I drink uncontrollably. I don't know why it is, except for just that it's so exciting, again, with especially when the weather's good. And this past Sunday, the 10th, the weather was absolutely perfect. It was like 78 degrees. Of course, this is the remnants of, the, of one of the worst hurricanes in the history of Florida, because they're getting it so pounded so bad down in Florida that cool air has moved up and cooled off middle Tennessee much cooler than it normally is. Start drinking at 10. I can't drink the beers fast enough. I get in the stadium. I can't drink the Miller Lite 16 ounce at $10 a piece. I can't drink them fast enough. By the time I leave there, I can I barely remember how the game ended. And then it just and I didn't do any driving or do anything overly stupid except for just annoy some people. So I, I I'm I'm okay with that as long as I don't do anything illegal and do anything that makes you know shame to my name or my family or my friends, which I it, by all accounts I didn't do. So that's good. But I can't drink fast enough. I can't do it. I can't stop drinking 
on these days and just continue to do that. We stopped in the bar after that. Then we went to the Mexican joint after that and margarita. Then went here and had a gin and tonic. Then went here. And before you know it, I'm passed out. It's early in the evening, waking up at 6 a.m., 5.45 a.m., and absolutely wanted to die. Just awful hangover. And, and then so that just takes Monday and throws Monday in the garbage can. And really, to be honest with you, into Tuesday, I was still sluggish. Now, I got a bunch of meetings on Wednesday when you potentially could be listening to this. And Thursday and Friday and the rest of the week is going to be fine. But damn it, it's something about those crisp, cool mornings. Noon starts in the central time zone at the Titans. And it absolutely makes me uncontrollably drink booze. And I, I don't, I, I'm not happy about it. I think I probably need to address it one of these days. But it happened again. And then down in Florida, the, the hurricanes were, or the hurricane, uh, what was that one? Irma, I think it was Irma, and then the week before that, or roughly a week and a half before that, was Harvey in Texas, and man, I just don't even know how people could even sleep at night at any point, knowing that any any time in the in the late summer and early fall they could have these kinds of this kind of weather that could just devastate where they live. So I mean, I I don't mean that as a way to say, well, hey, serves you right, you live there. I mean, Florida is incredible every other time of the year. Lots of areas of Texas are incredible every other time of the year. I wouldn't say that the Gulf Coast of Louisiana and Mississippi is incredible, but whatever quality of life there somewhere but man that kind of stuff absolutely is terrifying but the good news is at least you can get away from it as opposed to like tornado alley out in wherever it is oklahoma and all those areas where you can get away but it's 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 a little bit even more terrifying but this is a james mcmurtry the song is called hurricane party and if there's anybody who can kind of put anything into this mid-south southern uh, kind of Louisiana, Texas flavor kind of kind of thing. It's uh, James McMurtry, and uh, so I saw people from Florida all over the Mid South and Georgia and Tennessee. And uh, glad to have you here. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Hopefully you got home and were able to salvage something because it looked like an absolute disaster. Coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast, a weekly dose. For 9-13-2017, the biggest story of the year potentially that you probably don't know a whole lot about. And it's partially because a lot of people don't pay attention to their finances or to where their money is or isn't going, their credit scores, why they have credit scores or any of those things, all wrapped up into one. And I'll get into that next on the Stone On Air podcast. At Stone On Air on all social media and available anywhere you download your podcast. My name is Brian Stone, and I will be right back. We got our problems too, man. We'll get to you in just a minute. Sit your drunk ass down. Yeah, there's no one to talk to when the lines go down. Stone on air. We'll be right back. He's cool. 
Consumers, beware and check your credit report. Security experts urging Americans to take the latest data breach seriously, knowing 143 million consumers could be at risk. The hack, believed to have taken place between mid-May and July, but not discovered by Equifax until July 29th. Equifax is one of three major companies that tracks everything, including your payments on credit cards, mortgages, student and car loans, and utilities to establish your credit score. The company is now confirming hackers had access to names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, driver's license numbers, and even credit card numbers for more than 200,000 Americans. And even if you're not a customer of Equifax, experts warn your information may not be safe because Equifax gets its information from banks, credit card companies, and lenders, not consumers. I want security. I need security. Without it, I'd be at a loss. I need security. I'll take it at any cost. From the great Otis Redding track called Security. And really, we are a product of our own what am I trying to say uh, creation I guess Equifax is a company that makes probably billions of dollars I mean I didn't I didn't pull up the net worth of the company or even go that deep into them but Equifax is probably as high-end as any kind of major conglomerate of any kind, any kind of tech company, uh, just insert all the heavy hitters and the, and the usual suspects, and they're probably right there. And think about this. Equifax is a company that makes billions of dollars or millions and trillions or umpteen billion and countable jillion dollars, and they don't actually have any real customers. I mean, they do because they have business transactions, so you can consider those to be customers. But just at the end of that little piece, that was from, um, again, pulled that from uh, WXYZ.com out of Detroit. But it said at the end, it's because that they, they gather the information that they had that was breached in July, May and July, through other avenues, not from customers and consumers. Not, not as a direct relation to, hey, hey, Equifax, I want to get in bed with you. Here's some money. No, they it's all third-party stuff. And they get it all through how you spend your money through all the credit, comp- credit card companies and the mortgage companies and all the lending institutions. This is like getting in bed with the mob. This is like getting in bed with organized crime, except it's just one step above board and isn't organized crime. You don't have any say in this. It is not up for discussion. Once you get in bed and swim in the waters with credit scores, credit card companies, lending institutions, and mortgage companies, once you do that, you have now laid down with the sharks and you're now involved in their waters. And they control everything. And I'm 
not mad at you for doing it because I've done it too. It's all any of us have ever done. It's because it's this absolute infuriating bullshit way of basically evaluating wealth and success in this country. And it's fake. You want to talk about fake news? You want to talk about fraudulent information? Your credit score is the biggest fraudulent piece of shit number you'll ever find. It does not do anything except for prove that you spend a lot of money on borrowing money. You pay a lot of money to other people so you can borrow money so that you can now, quote, be successful because you have a high credit score. I have no idea what my credit score is. Now, it's pretty high because I have a mortgage and I pay the damn thing on time every every month. I do have a credit card as an Amex I use very sparingly. Does not carry over a balance. But because of a couple of these things, and if you look at my bill paying, whatever, I've been lucky. I've had a job for 15 years, at least till October of 2017, and my credit score is good. But I don't care what it is, and neither should you, but that has been how we've been built to judge success, to evaluate how we're doing. Well, is your credit score good? Well, okay, well, then you're great. No, it doesn't mean anything except that I borrow a lot of money. And it often means I don't save any. Can't save your money when all you do is spend it. So in the first week of September, we get news that in the middle of the summertime, 143 million people's information, social security numbers, uh, uh, credit card numbers, birth dates, so on and so forth, have all been obtained by, by hackers. Well, I don't know. What are you supposed to do about that? Nobody really cares because nobody even barely understands what it means. This is a bad game that's been set up. A bad, bad game that's been set up. And I'm ashamed to be playing it, but most people don't think it's a bad game. They think it's the best game going because that's what they think they're supposed to do. And if you, from the old radio station I used to do a show all the time, I'd fill in on Let's Talk Money and do production and fill in hosting, and it infuriated me. And I, and I, I couldn't help but get on there and scream to young people, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. This is Dave Ramsey from Fox Business talking about how bad this breach of security is. Basically, none of our identity is safe anymore, but this is the worst breach in history by far. Not only is it 143 million, but on top of that, they got everything. I mean, they got date of birth, they got socials, they got everything they need to open up credit cards in your name. They got my wife's stuff. So Dave Ramsey's freaking wife. Yeah, I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah, so, I mean, we have identity theft protection on all of our employees, all our family and everything. You need to have that. You got to have that in this world and you can't use equifaxes because they're making you sign off that you won't be part of a lawsuit see and that's what's made this even more difficult is they set up this website oh let me see if i can find it what did i do with it oh there it is it is called equifax security 2017.com all right so i went to it I thought okay i want to know 143 million that's half the damn country all right that's half the damn country. And if you take out every deadbeat and every person who doesn't even, you know, have a, a bank account and every and every and every in, inconsequential uh, security number and person of the 350 million people in the country, you take all of them out. And now we're talking about probably closer to two thirds of the country. Your information has been gathered by somebody. Now, it might be by just an algorithm that grabbed it and dropped it in somewhere and it didn't fall into anybody's actual hands. But you don't know that. The chances of you listening to this podcast, the Stone on Air podcast, 
the weekly dose for September 13th, 2017, the chances that you or at least somebody within earshot of you has had their information compromised is very likely, very, very likely. So Equifax sets up this website for you to go check and see if you're one of the ones. EquifaxSecurity2017.com. Now, when you get on there, it's loaded up with all kinds of confusing bullshit that's going to make you just bounce around trying to figure out something. And in the end, they have this website basically tricks you into signing up for their, their protection program for free. What you don't know if you don't look close enough is that if you sign up for certain parts of this website, you have legally signed away your rights to sue them or be involved in a class action lawsuit. You've given up that right by signing up for this supposed proactive approach to helping fix the 143 million identities that potentially were stolen. If you get too far into this and sign up in, in, the, in the wrong section that does not give you a warning, if you sign up for it, you have now given up that right. This is organized crime. Drug dealers, massive kingpins of the, uh, of the underground drug trade and money laundering are looking at this as inspiration, as a way to try and better their disgusting practices. This is horrifyingly awful. Just awful. And almost nobody is even going to look at it. And you never know, this information can now float around on the dark web, and someday there's going to be a credit card out there, and it's going to be in your name, and it's going to screw you over. And, it, you know, is it the end of the world? Not really, because if you try hard enough, you can get it fixed, but it's such a damn hassle. Or it could be even bigger than that. 143 million people have their information that was exposed to incredible exploitation and illegal activity. And this company has the gall to set up a website that tricks you into making sure they are deemed not responsible for their breach of security. It's disgusting. I just, I don't, uh, I don't even, I don't even know what else to say. Jimmy Kimmel the other night. Equifax, you know the people who keep our credit scores and have access to all our financial information? Well, they were hacked. Hackers got hold of the personal information for more than 143 million Americans. They were able to get credit card numbers, uh, social security numbers, banking information, everything Equifax has. Who would have ever guessed that a company with the word fax in its name would have outdated security technology? <laughs> Equifax, now they have a website where you can go to check to see if your data was compromised. All you have to do to find out is enter your last name and your social security number. <laughs> For real. That's quite a plan. Hey, everybody, you know, your social security number may have been stolen. Give us your social security number. We'll let you know if it was. To make up for potentially ruining your life, Equifax is offering free credit monitoring for a year. And Rick Smith, their CEO, made an apology video, a very awkward apology video to reassure everyone who never agreed to give them their information in the first place that everything's going to be okay. On July 29th of this year, we discovered that attackers had gained unauthorized access to certain Equifax data files. We acted immediately to stop the intrusion. We promptly engaged a leading cybersecurity cyber firm, firm which has been conducting a comprehensive forensic review to determine the scope of the intrusion. Don't worry, all of your delicate financial information is safe with me. And I promise we won't destroy capitalism as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, 
And I uh, once they brought Mr. Robot into it. I know it's that didn't that's a TV show, so it doesn't translate to uh, to the spoken word format all that well. But they had his face turn into uh, Christian Slater, who is Mr. Robot from the USA show Mr. Robot, which I haven't gone and seen the second season yet. And I just that makes me think, damn it, I need to because that was an incredibly odd, weird, and uh, brilliant first season, and it just gave me a reason to play this, which is at the very end of Mr. Robot Season 1. Is any of it real? I mean, look at this. Look at it! A world built on fantasy. Synthetic emotions in the form of pills. Psychological warfare in the form of advertising. Mind-altering chemicals in the form of seminars in the form of media isolated bubbles in the form of social networks real you want to talk about reality we haven't lived in anything remotely close to it since the turn of the century we turned it off forgot the batteries snacked on a bag of gmos while we toss the remnants in the ever-expanding dumpster of the human community branded houses trademarked by corporations built on bipolar numbers jumping up and down on digital displays one of the biggest slumber mankind has ever seen. Just dig pretty deep, kiddo, before you can find anything real. You live in a kingdom of bullshit. And what does that have to do with anything? Absolutely nothing. Just once Jimmy Kimmel reminded me of that show, I wanted to go down that road. And that will be all for today. So I appreciate you guys. Spending some time with me on the Stone On Air podcast, which is every Wednesday, your midweek download destination. Be sure to sign up for the e-newsletter, if you will, which I'll shoot that out on social media every now and again. So keep your social security numbers, birth dates, names, and all that delicate information as safe as possible. Do not be a fraud. Don't try to steal other people's highly sensitive information the truth is always easy to remember and continue to watch this space we'll do it again here next week and i'll talk to you then see you later bye